This episode of the Vermont Awana Podcast is brought to you by the Vermont Cannabis Week. Check out the inaugural Vermont Cannabis Week with events statewide starting on Thursday, 420. Kickoff party in Burlington, the Hedy Vermont Anniversary Party at the Skinny Pancake at the Waterfront. Down in Brattleboro at Hazel with Verdant Vermont. Entire Vermont Cannabis Week lineup is statewide. Everything from glass blowing, how to make solves, how to become a patient. We have got something for literally everybody. It's statewide, including up here in the Northeast Kingdom. Check it out, facebook.com slash Vermont Cannabis Week. You can also find it on Twitter, VT Cannabis Week. Again, April 20th through the 27th, statewide. Still room to get involved. Love to hear from you. We will see you there. Let's go. Put your grinder down and turn your radio up. This is the Vermont to Wanna Podcast. Lighting up the airwaves. And now, here's your host, rolling it up nice and tight, Eli Herring. All right, welcome from Montawana Podcast. Recording this on Easter Sunday, so happy spring, happy spring holidays to you and yours, wherever you might be listening to this, whatever you may or may not be observing. Pumped to have a little bit of warm weather here and coming from the undisclosed location in the Northeast Kingdom in Vermont. Just kidding, it's Eastburg. It's very much disclosed out there publicly. This episode, we have got a special treat for you. I've got an interview with a guy named Clay. Awesome dude who I uh, just met on Tuesday, had some really interesting conversations. This was at the Cannabis Statehouse Advocacy Day. Now I'll tell you what guys, we're going to talk about politics and media. Two things which I'm frustrated with right now. I'm sure I'm probably the only one who's out there complaining about politics and media. So I appreciate you being here for such original takes, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. Before we do, I just want to tell you about this feature interview because it was really interesting. This guy, Clay, I had not met him before, and I feel like I know most people out there in Vermont who have been in the cannabis scene, um, whether in front or behind the scenes, kind of the nature of Hedy Vermont writing about this, being active as an advocate, and Vermont just being really a small, you know, Vermont's a small town, as we say. I feel like I know a lot of the people, and part of the Cannabis Advocacy Day on Tuesday at the State House that was really neat was getting a chance to reconnect with folks from all around the state who I hadn't seen in a while. Also the chance to get to meet some new people. One of those people was a student named Clay who, I, I don't know, he's probably like in his mid, mid to late 30s um, and was an unfamiliar face. But he came up to me as soon as we got done doing our, uh, doing our discussion with the Lieutenant Governor, talking with the ACLU. Big thank you again, Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman. Always keeping it real, walking the walk, as he continues to talk the talk like he has been for 20 years. He came and talked to our group of about 30 heady Vermonters uh, who were there to sort of do some grassroots lobbying and advocacy. So thank you again to Lieutenant Governor Zuckerman. Um, again, Clay was one of the guys in the room who, who I had not met previously. And he came up and started talking to me and telling me a little bit about his background. And I said, hold on, man, we got to go outside and, and if you can... 
um, if you're willing. Let me get this on tape because this is such an incredible story and you are so the right messenger at the right moment to talk about this. Uh, so that's a hell of a tease. We'll play that interview in just a few minutes. I will just say this. Clay's a guy who owned and operated a dispensary in Colorado for, sev for several years. A guy who's been doing it, who made money out there, who learned it, was in the mix directly. Came back to Vermont with his wife to have their kid, raise their child, and he's someone who's frustrated with the lack of access to get into the medical world, um, and a guy who's a professional doing it out west. So really interesting, again, to talk to him. He's really new on the scene here in Vermont. I think he's been back for like eight weeks, but he's a guy who grew up here. So we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Politics and media. Two subjects that are very frustrating for me right now. Politically in Vermont, things are not looking great for legalization. We have currently a bill, H-170, which is stuck in the Human Services Committee. It will go to the full house for a floor vote when they think they have enough votes to pass it. Now, I'm not sure what's changed. Nothing has changed positively, I can tell you that in the last week to give that bill the momentum it needs. And if anything, I would say momentum is going in a different direction. One of the things we observed up at the State House and that I've seen emerging is now you have people saying, well, I don't support legalization because if we're gonna legalize it, we might as well tax and regulate it. Well, guess what? Where the fuck were you people last year when we were doing S-241? Now, it was a bill that was flawed in many ways. Some would even say it was a bad bill. I would probably agree. It was not a good bill, but it was a tax and regulate bill. The Senate put a lot of time and effort into it. They got it to the House relatively early. The Speaker wasn't really interested, and the House felt like they were not prepared. So it ended up going down. The tax and regulate bill went down like 120 to 20. I mean, it was just got its ass kicked. The strategy this year was, let's do legalization first. One of the things that happened last year was that people who were legalization advocates didn't want to see it go straight to a commercial system. They said, listen, we should have the right to grow this for ourselves if we're going to make this a product and commodity and tax and regulate it. Ultimately, again, uh, legalization of homegrown did not happen last year personal possession did not happen. It wasn't part of that bill. So this year we, again, came back and said, let's start with that. A lot of people agreed. The uh, leadership, I would say, in the House sort of gave this, they gave this committee the go-ahead. You know, they started work on it early. I mean, they'd spent a lot of time with it last year. Like, it seemed like things were looking pretty good. And then it kind of languished and languished and languished. <clears throat> the Senate gave it a little bit of extra time to maybe pick up support after the crossover deadline in mid-March. And again, it's kind of just been languishing because it really does not have the kind of champions in the House. And now you have people in Montpelier who I think mostly are full of shit and just using it for political cover, not all of them, but some of them, who are saying, well, yeah, I can't do legalization. These are people who are like moderate, either Republican or Democrats, I would say more moderate and saying, well, we might as well tax and regulate it. And again, it's like, bullshit, where were you people last year? Again, another problem with that is that tax and regulate is extremely complicated. You know, you're creating new revenues. 
you're spending new money. Yeah, you have to do so much different, so many different things. There are plenty of models out there we could use. A lot of the groundwork's already been done on this in Vermont. There's a bill called 490 that's out there, but uh, the bottom line is that tax and regulate is going to take a while to set up, and it's going to have to go through multiple committees in both the House and the Senate before it eventually theoretically gets signed by the governor. So the more people talk about tax and regulate this year, the less they're talking about legalization. And the problem with that is that last year, the voters were very clear, and the politicians at the time were pretty clear that before we commercialize this, people should have the right to possess it and grow it themselves without being criminals. Pretty simple. I will also say, frustrated by I think the, the the lack of media coverage for our state house advocacy day that happened on Tuesday. Uh, the Vermont media likes to write about cannabis. They generally do a pretty good job covering the topic. They sometimes get caught up using the same dumbass stock photos um, and the same you know outdated B-roll, you know, and just kind of being basic. But for the most part, there's a lot of good coverage happening on it. Uh, Peter Hirschfeld from VPR. Elizabeth Hewitt from VT Digger, um, Terry Hallenbeck from Seven Days, who mostly does the political stuff. You know, these are people who all provide great coverage on a ton of subjects. So considering the fact that they pay as much attention to, to the pop politics as they do is pretty impressive. So, you know, I don't want to bash the Vermont media here, but I will say that it's pretty disappointing that on Tuesday we managed to get damn near 30 people to come out Okay, and unbeknownst, you know, maybe contrary to the stereotype, most people who care about cannabis and who uh, and who use it are fairly regular. You know, they're working on a Tuesday. They can't go out to the state house. They're not taking a sick day to do it. So, the fact that we got 30 people to show up in person to schedule appointments with their representatives, I saw everybody who was in that room write two notes to their legislators, handwritten notes delivered from the state house to their representatives. So if nothing else, there were 50 messages delivered that day on handwritten notes that went out. And again, probably about 25 to 30 people who were there in person talking to the lieutenant governor about grassroots advocacy, about how to approach lawmakers, you know, basically just being trained and empowered and participating directly in their own self-government. And the Vermont media was nowhere to be seen. You know, they were around the building, they were in the mix. I should have done a much better job publicizing it and hustling before the fact. Um, I thought that considering, you know, the interest in the subject, the competition between these outlets, and the fact that I know they follow our shit and read our stuff, that it was happening. Um, you know, it's it's disappointing because it's the only thing that has not happened yet in cannabis is that people actually show up and support it in person, and the fact that you get thirty pot advocates wearing suits and shirts and ties and professional attire, having conversations with representatives and engaging them directly. You know, that's pretty That's pretty newsworthy, I think. I think that's pretty amazing. Now, I'm obviously super biased because I set this whole thing up. Um, but, you know, I, it was really personally, it was very, very meaningful to witness and to be a part of. It was very cool to see these people and you know, like I mentioned, get to know a lot of cool people, including Clay, our feature interview today, who we'll talk about. Um, but again, you know, the only media coverage that came out of that Tuesday, nothing from the testimony that happened all afternoon, all the legalization advocates, including 
not even advocates, but it was more people who, who favored it. Um, there was a doctor there from UVM, a fucking neurologist, you know, Dr. Joe McSherry, who is a great dude and who is a total, <laughs> he's a total egghead. He's so smart. Um, he's been studying this subject for so long and he's, you can tell is such a true scientist that, you know, the way he answers questions and being so intentionally, I think sort of thorough, um, you know, the fact that that was happening and that didn't get any coverage either. However, a few of the senators got together and decided to have a little press conference in the afternoon. Didn't mention anything about the lieutenant governor, their fellow senator, who was downstairs that morning with 30 people. Uh, they had their own little press conference saying, well, you know, we, uh, we think it's pretty much impossible that we'd be able to pass this legalization bill. And hey, we're still annoyed that we're not talking about tax and regulate. Alright, the last thing that I will say is you can complain about the media and the politics or you can get involved. So, you know, I'll, uh, I'll leave it at that. Because we are feeling so inspired on this Easter holiday, um, we'll go ahead and just get back into the interview because that is the most interesting part of the show today on this episode of the podcast. Again, met Clay at the Advocacy Day. Uh, as, you can, as he'll tell you, he is from Vermont. He discovered cannabis at an early age and said that it really, you know, he said literally saved his life. Um, those were his words. So he's clearly got a powerful connection, took some carpentry and building skills, and ended up becoming uh, a very successful owner and operator of a dispensary. Now he's back in Vermont, jumping into the mix, trying to get a handle on what's going on politically, looking at our medical system, and wondering how can he get involved with his expertise and bring a more compassionate, more experienced more professional kind of medical marijuana operation to the state that he loves and where he is from. So without further ado, we will go ahead and feature the interview with Clay. This interview is brought to you by Hetty Vermont, your go-to resource for cannabis news and information. www.hedyvermont.com. Come check us out in person Thursday, 420 at the Skinny Pancake in Burlington, Vermont, down at the waterfront. We've got a great party going on, one-year anniversary party, which is going to help kick off the Vermont Cannabis Week, which you should check out on Facebook. Um, but come check out the Hedy Vermont anniversary party at the Skinny Pancake on Thursday, 420. we got some awesome prizes and giveaways, the ganja guides, we've got art from Sludge Boss, we've got pipes from Eat What They Feed You, uh, burn gallery gift certificates, we've got series natural remedies who are there going to have a full table doing a whole thing. It's going to be huge. So come check it out. Thursday, 420, HeddyVermont.com. I wasn't exactly 100% even after five years of being in this industry comfortable, you know, voicing my opinion all the time because there will be judgments passed. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, that if you believe in something, you, you got to put yourself out there. And, um, and if you don't believe in something, you have to examine why and make sure that that it's for the right reasons. We are here to set the scene, sitting on the State House steps on a beautiful day. This is actually pretty awesome. Um, interesting because the metaphor used was the bill will move when the weather changes. So the weather has changed <laughs> outside. We're out here in short sleeves. I don't know if the weather's changed inside yet. That's part of what we're doing up here today. But really exciting to have a chance to meet a gentleman named Clay who came to Advocacy Day today is a heady Vermont reader and has a really sort of compelling story 
about his background in cannabis as someone who's a Vermonter who went to Colorado and got a ton of really professional experience at the highest level, no pun intended, is back here in Vermont re-engaging and wondering what the hell's going on, <laughs> what's, what's kind of taking so long, and sort of getting reacquainted with, with our own little weird Vermont cannabis world. Uh, so Clay, welcome. Thank you for, for letting me interview you. And maybe we can just start with kind of a little bit of background, your experience in the cannabis community, and sort of what brought you brought you here today. Okay, uh, well thanks for taking the time to interview me. And uh, firstly, um, my background started uh, as a 16 year old who left home four days after my 16th birthday and uh, found myself uh, kind of lost in the world and in foster care and uh, in a new high school for senior year and I had never tried marijuana before um, but I was really confused and approaching suicidal tendencies very quickly. Um, that was when I first discovered cannabis and uh, I attribute it to saving my life at that time because I was fighting a daily battle to mm -hmm. uh, to keep myself alive because of the, the stresses that I found from being away from my family and friends my whole life. So that was where it started for me and I was diagnosed with PTSD um, at 16 years old by numerous psychologists and when I started using cannabis that was when I was able to focus a lot of people think you lose focus through cannabis, but I actually gained focus. Mm -hmm. um, I stopped worrying about how I was going to, you know, go to college or how, like all my friends were doing. I stopped worrying about... Get a break from that teenage anxiety. Yeah. I mean, 16, there's a billion different things, Yeah. you know, and reasons people have depression and anxiety. Yeah. And so I, I, I found cannabis and all of a sudden I started to like hiking. And I started to like being out in nature and observing things that my friends didn't necessarily think were important. Um, but I did, and it resonated with me. And uh, I never wanted to be somebody who was going to dealers. Like I was telling you a few minutes ago, mm -hmm. it was something that just didn't sit well with me. And I had grown vegetables for my family my whole life. And I thought, hey, why not? I can do this on my own. And I started with, you know, just a small closet operation just to keep myself yep. and my mind where I knew it needed to be. And um, I continued with that until six years ago, um, where at that point I moved with my wife uh, to Colorado um, to pursue jobs in the marijuana industry. Right. I knew that it was going to be some time before Vermont. Uh, came around. I did not realize it would be this long. <laughs> Fuck, six years uh, later, we're still here. Yeah. I thought for sure, you know, and I didn't have intentions necessarily of coming back, but once I left Vermont and realized how much I missed the people of this state, the culture of this state, mm -hmm. the, you know, just the, the way we all live here. Yeah, this is uh, home for you. Yeah. You know? I and knew. so you kind of had that more conventional, I think you said carpentry, uh -huh. you know, as sort of a builder. Yep. So, but mean in the meantime, your real passion is growing you know, growing cannabis, high grade, yep. you're educating yourself, you're getting better at this, mm -hmm. and you finally decide, all right, I love Vermont, but 
let's go give this thing a real shot. And six years ago, there was a lot of opportunity and potential in Colorado that was kind of just starting to come to the surface. There was. So how was your, because I know some folks who have gone out there and gotten jobs as bud tenders or something like that. Mm -hmm. What was kind of your entree into the scene then? Okay. Because I know it's tough to, uh, you know, they want people with experience, but when you're coming from another state, you've been doing it underground, you know, maybe it's tough. So how'd you kind of get into the scene in Colorado and what'd you find yourself doing? Yeah, it's not like you can move there with a resume that says, hey, this is what I've been doing. <laughs> right. Um, and so a lot of people do start at the entry level of things. So my wife, Heidi, and I, um, you know, we brought our life savings, which wasn't much. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we sacrificed with one vehicle for a year, um, shared a vehicle. And uh, basically what we did is we started under... Um, just getting Colorado experience under the caregiver laws that were in place six years ago. Um, and then quickly, quickly realized that we were going to have to step up our game if we wanted to be a part of uh, an actual business. And mm -hmm. so what we did is we, being a, a builder, um, it was easy for me to uh, rent warehouse space and transform it into state-of-the-art grow <laughs> facilities. Wow, okay. So the first step that we took was to put our life savings uh, into two facilities with no licensing. We, we didn't have any licensing at wow. the time, but we, <laughs> we took a huge risk and we built out these facilities and then we started interviewing existing dispensaries in the state to see who needed an, an improvement with their plant product you know their actual product and who needed structure in an industry that was lacking professionalism right because my wife um, is a certified horticulturalist um, myself as a builder we both had a lot of uh, professional aspects yeah to bring if you're, to if you're trying table. to have someone come in and build a professional setup those are the two people who I want yeah the builder who's a grower and the horticulturalist yeah. whose husband is a grower yeah and so the first thing we did is build out two warehouses and quickly signed up to be partners with um, a dispensary that was doing well, but clearly needed a lot of help with their product, as I think a lot of Vermonters feel about our current situation, where, mm -hmm. you know, they want a more personalized uh, uh, route to the medicine that their body and their mind needs. Um, and so I worked really hard in Colorado to bring a diverse array of strains um, whether it was, you know, CBD, you know, strictly CBD strains that people were not getting uh, stoned off of, but was helping their pain and their anxiety, or, uh, you know, even working with lots of other companies in the state to bring their, uh, their products to our shelves, stuff mm -hmm. that we weren't going to produce in-house. You know, right. we, we were... Like we're not going to make the transdermal patches, but we know our patients right. want them. And, and which ones to bring in and which mm -hmm. ones were effective, which ones weren't. At the time, six years ago, there was a lot of problems with dosing in Colorado. Right. And, and how, especially in edibles. You hear, you especially heard a lot about in edibles. That at that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think in any industry, you have a new industry, it's never going to be perfect. And that's one of my concerns for Vermont. I understand the legislative process and why we made it that you know, this can't be legalized through voter initiative, but there's also a point at which when you're 70, 80, 90% sure of something, you just have to go for it. Right. Because if we all waited until we were 100% sure of something, nobody would ever do anything. 
Right. Because nothing good, nothing good would ever happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and let's get in. Let's get into that a little bit. I mean, you know, you're going through kind of the beginning stages of legal regulated adult use market in Colorado mm-hmm. as all of this stuff is happening, and I think that's one thing people here are kind of interested in is sort of what happens when the light switch goes on, right? You know, and when you have regulated economies, when you have businesses that now have to be licensed, when you have to have HR policies, you know, can you maybe give us some insight into what that was like as that transition? And like you said, as people who are trying to sort of professionalize things, and then what we can kind of take out of that, you know, here in Vermont and, you know, what were the what were the worst case scenarios that, okay. that happened? And Okay, yeah. Um, so compliance is you know, of course, a a big concern for everybody. Um, Whether you're for or against it, compliance is something that, you know, should be at the top of the list for anybody working professionally in this industry. Uh, One of our mottos in Colorado was that we are 100% compliant 100% of the time. Yep. And does that mean that day one you get your your regulatory books and... um, you're able to just move forward for the next year or two? Absolutely not. This is an ever-changing business in every state. And so we would lay out guidelines. We had, you know, 53 employees um, in Colorado. And that's a lot of people to keep track of as far as who's putting product into, you know, what systems and um, is there a leaf that gets, uh, you know, lost and, and is floating around on the ground outside because um, a part of the regulation for your byproduct in Colorado, which I'd love to see Vermont do something a little bit differently, is that all of our byproducts, so our roots, our soil, our stocks, and our fan leaves, which weren't being used for processing, would all have to be mulched and made unusable and unrecognizable as cannabis. Not only that, but they would not let us compost it. They wouldn't let us turn it into a secondary business in Colorado. So we were... Which con- is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it is because you're, you're you know, you're compost filling... Compost this, but don't use it. Don't put it in the ground. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so there were a lot of concerns um, with that. Does a leaf get lost and it's floating around out there and an inspector comes by and shuts your whole dispensary down? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know... The focus on, on prevention, pre- preventative measures was huge because you don't want to deal with something after the fact. Did it happen occasionally? Of course it did. Well, and out uh, there, too, I mean, you have this whole, you have the Marijuana Enforcement Division. Mm-hmm. You have people out there writing tickets. You know, there are millions and millions of dollars on the line. The risk of not being compliant is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Here, I don't think we have the same, the same issues. I have never once heard about a dispensary running afoul of any kinds of regulations. Maybe they're all perfectly compliant. You know, maybe there's not a ton of oversight, um, you know, into that. And I think that's one thing that people don't realize is that that regulatory framework out there is pretty advanced, you know, and you have people who are tracking this shit, who are going to visit dispensaries, who are trying to do stings, you know, that along with legalization and regulation out there came actual real regulation. You know, and so you guys would have to deal with these people, and you know, again, it was it was no joke. Not at all. It was a it was a constantly changing evolution from from day one. You'd think right when you think you get all all of your ducks in a row, a month later it would change, and right. you just sort of had to stay on your feet and and accept the fact that it's a new industry, and 
we are all going to learn as time goes on. None of us, myself included, uh, after working in the industry, know what's going to happen next, you know? Um, I think that through that, the focus needs to be put on things that were talked about inside today, um, which is helping people, you know? Um, of course, there's people like myself who, who want to make a business of this here in Vermont, but we want to stick to, that's the reason my wife and I are back here. Colorado had lost the culture of why this should be a priority for all of us. Hmm. When, when people ask, why now? Why now? Because there are people suffering now. There are people who need this uh, to, to, for relief. If we're not even talking about a cure, we're talking about some amount of relief that, that comes from a natural source. And uh, that's, the, that's my answer to the why now. It's because there are people who need it now. And you had mentioned and, that's part of how you guys, why you came back here. I mean, you're a Vermonter. You said you guys wanted to raise your family here and come back. You also had, you had kind of made it. You had survived all the crazy, you know, mm -hmm. all the wild stuff um, and the Wild West and were successful in this industry, you know, running these operations. And you were saying you left money on the table, opportunities on the table to come back to Vermont because, in part, you were grossed out by what was happening out there. That's exactly right. Uh, as much as it was hard to leave, uh, many of our employees and friends thought that we were, we were out of our minds, frankly, for, for leaving our positions there. Um, but for me, it, it reaches deeper than that. Um, I think mostly because of my history um, and, and how this plant has helped me, um, not just financially in the last six years, but previous to that, uh, it was a, a catalyst to my success as a builder and as a, as a happy human being and, and frankly, a, yeah. you know, um, somebody who could contribute to society uh, in the way that, that I wanted to. So um, I definitely left behind, you know, a lot of opportunity and I did it because I believe in Vermont, even though it's discouraging coming back and <laughs> seeing that we're fighting so hard for such small I'm glad you weren't here last steps. year. Yeah. <laughs> you would have left. Yeah. You turned right around. Uh, and that's the other thing, you know. One of the reasons I'm here today is because I have a, a three-day-old daughter in the NICU at Fletcher Allen right now. And this is my plan going forward in life. And I need to know, not today, but soon, do I take the savings that we made in the industry in Colorado, we wanted nothing more than invested into Vermont. But I also have to be there for my family. And I think there's a lot of people in this state who are, who are really interested in working in the industry and not because they're lazy and they don't want to go do, you know, a, a I mean, you've employed these people, you know, it's yep. not, it's not people who are stoners. It's people who are passionate about the subject. Yep. And, they, and you have to be because it's not an easy industry. Uh, a lot of people think it's easy money or it's, you know, uh, just, just sort of a slacker route to a job. But it's really not. Our employees in Colorado were really hardworking, um, dedicated people who, who had a passion for this. And, and most of them come from some sort of background like myself where they... They had a reason to tell their families that's what they wanted to do and to, 
to move across the country to be someplace where they could live their life and not be seen as a criminal, mm -hmm. you know, where, where they could openly say, I smoke pot, I vaporize pot, I consume pot, and this is why and I'm proud of it. Not yeah. to have that feeling of, of, you know, sort of being a, a criminal. Right, at the, ver at the very least, and that's where we're yeah. kind of at today is trying to just start with that one, that one basic step of giving people the relief. Not having to worry about, will I get a $200 fine or will I get, um, you know, do I have to worry about probation or, you know, losing my benefits or something like that. Yep. Um, that kind of brings me into a thought of just uh, one thing I've noticed in the last seven months being back in Vermont is the talk <laughs> of the opioid epidemics in this state. and. It's really troubling for me to hear um, where, where this is all coming from because something that we all need to realize and get more educated on is that one of the only things out there that can help these people suffering from uh, opioid use, well, first of all, would be to stop having the pharmaceutical industry supply these people and supply dealers in Florida who I saw personally come to Colorado with trunks full of, of prescription medication that they got from these factories in Florida yep. and drove them straight to Colorado and were peddling them all over the state. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that cannabis is the only relief, one of the only bits of relief that these patients are going to find and something that I believe can genuinely help these people get back to who they were before um, these prescription drugs or, or street heroin. I don't know much, I, I frankly don't know much about heroin or opiates or anything like that, but I do know that there is a correlation between somebody who is trying to get their body and their mind back to how they were before they started using these harder drugs and marijuana having, or cannabis as I like to call it, uh, having a direct impact on their ability to cure themselves. Yeah, I think we're seeing I think we're so, seeing more. I think people are more coming around to that. I know New Mexico was going to add opioid dependency as a qualifying condition. The governor vetoed it, um, unfortunately, but I know Vice did a program about a place up in Maine that was using basically nothing but cannabis and running kind of a sort of guerrilla rehab facility. So I think people are coming around a lot to it. And yeah. I know in the last year, you know, that that mindset has changed a lot with people saying we can't legalize this we already have an opioid problem to now people think about well this is actually something that's helped a lot of people you know sort of off board um, exactly. from this opioid dependency and if you've ever seen anyone who's going through withdrawals um, or coming down off it it's a it's an awful awful scene you know and it would be hard to imagine any kind of relief that would be you know inappropriate for for people in that situation yeah um, but kind of um, kind of wrap up I mean this has been this has been outstanding talking to you and getting a chance to meet you and so glad that we have readers like you <laughs> and attract these kind of folks um, you know you're re re-emerging into Vermont in the political kind of scene what would you like to see happen with with the medical laws with with the legalization you know you're interested in doing this professionally but you know it's not it's not your only interest in being here um, so kind of your impressions as, cause you're the guy, 
you know, someone who's had a business, gainfully employed, wants to move back here with a young family. We're talking about population loss. Mm -hmm. You're trying to grow the population, exactly. contribute, have experience, have financial <laughs> backing behind you. I mean, you're like the poster child for everything we want to encourage in this okay. building, theoretically. <laughs> um, so what do, we, what do we do to make that, to make that happen? Well, first and foremost, people have to get educated. They need to have the right information um, being brought to their attention. Uh, obviously, I'm here in support of H-170, um, which doesn't benefit me in, in the business sense in any way, shape, or form, but it be benefits my friends and my family who, who need access to this um, and should be able to grow at home. That's, that's the first step. Um, from there, uh, obviously, I, I believe in a regulated system. Um, will it be perfect right off the bat? Absolutely not. But uh, how much money in taxes did you guys pay? Two eighty e. You don't get any exemptions, right? So uh, you know, it would be hard to put an exact number on it, but um, it was millions of dollars. And you're a guy a who's year. put millions of dollars in cash into bags and delivered it to town clerks and to state tax departments. Well, um, you know, there were a few of us. You don't have to give away your secrets <laughs> no, of how you did this. No, there were, uh, you know, having companies deal with cash is, is definitely not the avenue for this business. Um, Colorado, a lot, of, uh, a lot of people that I know in the industry had to deal with cash, thankfully. Um, our business was one of four or five dispensaries in the state of Colorado that dealt directly with banks. Wow. So from day one, we were direct deposit, no cash. We had, you know, you could use your ATM card, your debit card, uh, your credit card in our stores, and all of our employees had direct deposit. So thankfully, we weren't carrying uh, uh, <laughs> hundreds right. of thousands of dollars around the streets because I knew other owners who were doing that and it led them to sell out because they were terrified. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously Denver and Colorado is a slightly different environment than we have here in Colorado, but that's not to say, or that, than we have here in Vermont, but that's not to say that, you know, people wouldn't try and come here and take advantage of the fact that they know that dispensaries are, are moving um, actual physical cash from point A to point B. So, right. um, you know, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to distract you no. from that, but that's an important part no, of this it tax is. and regulatory. Yeah, sorry. Uh, You've actually paid tax bills with this. Yes. You've seen this money go in. Yes. That's part of why you support the regulatory, the yeah. regulated system. And I've seen the repercussions of this tax revenue. You know, uh, I've only been back in Vermont seven months, but it seems to me like one of the biggest questions facing a slew of of issues in this state is how are we going to pay for it? Um, whether it's our roads, our bridges our educational system. My mom was a teacher of 35 years. Um, coming back, one thing that I noticed, as beautiful as the state is, is that Colorado is building and is, is, is moving forward with lots of different programs for kids, for education, uh, for athletics, for arts, you know. Um, so how much of that you know, comes directly from the marijuana industry. I couldn't tell you exactly, but I could tell you that I had friends in other areas of, uh, of work in Colorado, whether it was education or the medical field, that were seeing these tax dollars come to their businesses. And they actually had to put this money into accounts and hold it while they formed committees on how to distribute this money. <laughs> 
So it was a good problem. It right. was like, okay, we've got X number of dollars, and but we don't have any programs to distribute this. So right. they held on to the money. They, you know, got committees together, and and they formed a route for this money to go into our, you know, our Funny future. Funny how fast government can work with stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, huh? it is. <laughs> um, so I don't know if I missed the first question, the first part of your question there, but uh, no, that was no. Well, one of the other sides to it all is that not only did we have the em direct employees for the company, but we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on contractors, uh, HVAC people. Um, uh, you know, we were in close contact. You talk about the, you know, the police here and wanting to know how they're going to have a role in it. I mean, we had, we were in regular communication with the chief of police and you know the fire department would come inspect everything and and we all work together once once the laws pass you come together and you do what you have to do to make sure that all sides are having their voice heard and this way the the police can feel comfortable that they know what's going on and that they're educated and in, mm -hmm. in where this is headed and they're not left in the dark because that's important as well um, and yet people of our state could move forward in life knowing that they can, I think a lot of people are scared. I, I wasn't exactly 100% even after five years of being in this industry comfortable, you know, voicing my opinion all the time because there will be judgments passed. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, that if you believe in something, you, you got to put yourself out there. And, um, and if you don't believe in something, you have to examine why and make sure that that it's for the right reasons. What a poignant and perfect way to so, end this, Clay. Thank you very much for talking with us. This yeah, is awesome. Thank you.